0: Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. This week's prize pack is provided by ShopPosta, which is run by former Guest of the Year contestant Peter. Peter is a painter, muralist, and visual artist from Connecticut. His love for the dead led him down a rabbit hole of vintage bootleg lot tees, which inspired him to start designing his own dead-themed t-shirts. All designs start with Peter's own illustrations done on pencil and paper. You can check out Peter's site at Shop.com dash posta.com which is also linked in the show notes thanks so much to peter and to mason who curates the prize packs all right here's how the game works we'll play the first part of a grateful dead live track and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year the performance is from contestants who are all on a video conference together can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes whoever is furthest in the correct year is eliminated The last two deadheads standing will have a best of three series to determine a winner. The defending champion, Mateo, very understandably has abdicated his throne because he was waking up in the middle of the night to play because he's in Madrid. So we have five new deadheads competing for the title this week. So we'll meet those deadheads in a moment. But first, without further ado, the Grateful Dead. The guesses are in. It was Peggy O at Red Rocks Amphitheater on September 6th, 1983. So the only one to get it exactly was Jake. Jake is 45 from Stony Brook, New York. Jake, you nailed 83. That's a tough one, early 80s. How'd you figure it out?
1: Well, the only thing for the last probably five to seven years that my daughters and I listen to in the car every day is early 80s Grateful Dead. It's off the rails. They're better musicians than they were in the 70s. It's the most raw, real stuff that you've ever heard in your life. Most cats don't get it. Jerry's voice is shredded for obvious reasons. But it's the only time of the dead that I, I can't stop listening to. It because they get off the rails, and we all fail in life. We all get up, dust ourselves off, and keep going. And to me, like that's the greatest period of the dead. Because the 70s is too pretty, it's too perfect. You know, and quite frankly, they got to be better musicians. And in 83, Garcia was at the top of his game. If you listen to his guitar playing, he is going into the stratosphere. Brent was the best player, in my opinion, that the dead ever had. And so that was in my wheelhouse. I've never heard that version. And it's very uptempo. I was actually, but I could tell by Jerry's voice. And so, that, you know, 83, baby.
0: Thanks, Jake. You're on to the next round. Joining the next round is Garen. Garen guest 1984. Garen is 50 and he's from Brooklyn. Garen, why 84?
2: Um, the first thing that caught my ear was the Brent uh, synth tone. I think, that, I think that was the emulator uh, uh, keys. That, and that's the first thing that caught my eye. And then, um, yeah, the tempo, um, Bobby's tones. I mean, for me, one of the... Things I zero in on right away is sort of like what distinguishes each individual musician in each era, you know? And so, and each one of them, when you get into the mid 80s, though, it's sort of a woolly, dense thicket there where there were subtle changes from like 83 to 84. But, you know, part of me was like, is that 85? But then Jerry's voice sounded a little bit too sweet to be 85, you know?
0: Nice, really nice. Um, you're on to the next round along with her husband, Jason, who guessed 1982. Jason is 49 from Brooklyn. Jason, why 82?
3: I sort of immediately, you know, just aside from the obvious, like who's in the band, but I gravitated toward 1983. And when I'm getting into like 82, 83, 84, it's really, I listen for Jerry's voice. There's, as Gary was saying, it's maybe less, sweet as it gets a little bit later in the early mid 80s but there's also this thing where Jerry had his head down uh for a lot of 1982 and 1983 and I sort of was thinking that that sounded just a little bit um a little bit before he seemed to zero out in his voice and kind of get down where his, you know resting his chin on his chest so I kind of went okay I think that's 82 late 82 something like that.
0: Brilliant. Hearing the head on the chest. Uh, That's awesome. You're on the next round. Mike also guessed 82, actually, which makes Chris the odd man out who guessed 78. Sorry, Chris, Mike, 82 as well. You're 25 and from Miami. Anything you want to add to Jason's breakdown there?
4: No, I thought that was a good breakdown. I was going to say 83. So I should have gone with my gut there because by the end I switched to 82 because I heard Brent was a little louder than I expected. I was going to go 83 at first because that Peggio reminds me of the, I think it's 1231 San Francisco Civic Auditorium 83. Um, so New Year's 83, there's a great uh, Peggio on YouTube. And that fast plucking by Jerry, you know, that like up-tempo plugging, plucking and the Peggio on Tiger and just how Tiger sounded, I knew it was 82 or 83. But should have gone if I got it.
0: Thanks, Mike. Chris is 40 from Altoona, Pennsylvania. You guessed 1978. Chris, what'd you hear?
5: The sound was a little jumbled for me and I couldn't hear any um, keyboard. At the very end, I thought I heard a couple fills of an acoustic piano. So I thought it had to be Keith, but um, Jerry sounded old enough that I thought 80s, but when I heard the acoustic piano at the very end, I just thought, I guess it's the last year of Keith.
0: Got it. So, how did you get into the Dead, Chris? Um, mainly
5: just at a young age, I had um, I have an older sister, and her friends were like the cool, you know, the cool kids, and they listened to the Dead, <laughs> and uh, they took me to a Dead show when I was twelve at um, uh, Three Rivers Stadium, and uh, ever since then it's been my, I, I rarely listen to anything besides Grateful Dead, Mike. My poor girlfriend.
4: That's uh, you know, she's gotta put up with me all the time. But
6: yeah,
5: that's a,
4: that's about it. Was that the ninety-five Three River show? Yeah, yeah. The rainy the, the rainy show. What, yeah, West LA Fadeaways on YouTube. I see. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, what do you remember from that show? Like what uh, what was that like?
4: Um, I
5: think it was in the second set. It just started downpouring and they played a bunch. they played Mission in the rain samba in the rain and looks like rain there was a ton of it had stopped raining for like maybe 10 minutes and then bobby started playing looks like rain and it immediately started raining again and probably 15 people around me were crying and i was i was 12 so i was like what is going on right now you know but i figured it out eventually
0: uh you've a cool older sister it reminds me of the almost famous older sister <laughs> kind of
5: something like that Thanks, everyone. It's fun. I love the show. I'll hang out, too, and uh,
2: good luck to all y'all.
0: Thanks, Chris. So Jason, Garen, Mike, and Jake are on to the next round. Let's hear the next song. So it was Brown-Eyed Women at Fox Theater on October 18th, 1972. <laughs> Everyone, has a collective shake of the head because actually no one got it. We had three 73s and 174 and Mike is the odd man out. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> head and hands over here. Let's start with Jason, Why uh, 73
3: Why 73? I think that I was listening to an interplay in the rhythm section that just reminds me of that summer tour in 73. I I was leaning towards 74, more than 72, actually. But um, for some reason, it was in the mix. I think it was ultimately came down to this feels like a lot of the 73 shows that I liked a lot. And so I just kind of took a stab at it, but uh, I w- was going to be 73 or 74. So I'm glad it went this way and not the other.
0: <laughs> Garen, were you thinking something similar?
2: You know, so first thing is when did brown eyed women enter the repertoire? Obviously start there. And so I was like, okay, 72 and beyond. And then um, I was actually listening for in the wall of sound when they had those out of phase microphones and they had that sort of, that really not ideal vocal sound going on. Um, It's almost like a staticky kind of lispy kind of thing that was happening. And I thought I heard that. And so I thought, okay, so this is maybe not 72. Uh, And then I actually, for a minute there, and I'm not really sure. I was like, was the Wallace sound introduced in 73 or 74? I couldn't remember at the moment. So I went with 73.
0: Well, you're on the next round. Jake, you're also on the next round. Why did you guess
4: 73?
1: Easy. Easy. Kreutzman, it's only one drummer, and uh, and they sound happy. Uh, seventy four was a, a bitter end. They took all the year off, and then in seventy five, all the cats in the band realized they couldn't survive without the dead. So um, seventy three was very upbeat. Single drummer, and uh, they're having a ball.
0: They were happy. Nice poll, Jake. Mike, you guessed seventy four. I'm sorry. Talk us through your thought process. Uh, yeah. What are you thinking?
4: I was about to put 73. Like I should have just been doing this off the rip right away. <laughs> I thought I, <laughs> I thought of it was like 73, 74 Pacific Northwest uh, shows, you know, that brown eyed women at W Coliseum, I think. Um, so I just knew it was 73 or 74. Well, it's actually the end of 72, but I thought it was 73 or 74 based on the sound. Um, should have gone with 73, but. You guys are good. You guys are well versed. So.
0: Sorry, Mike. That's a tough one. How do well, you? How did you get into the dead?
4: Um, I kind of got into the dead slowly in high school. I had like you know some studio dead, just like acoustic, "Friend of the Devil," uh, ripple type stuff, and then like senior year high school, like twenty or like freshman year college, 2016, 2017, started like listening to live shows first with. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Grateful Dead, and that was that, that was like my first, you know, like live dead that I listened to back in like 2016. So, got into it out to that. My brother's a musician and like he loves the dead. We've been and now, we play, you know, we, we, we both play guitar, so we play a lot together. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, exclusively dead, so we have a good time doing it.
0: Does someone sing?
4: I sing a bit, yeah.
0: Do you sing Jerry
4: and Bob? I do. Um, I sing more Bob. I mean, I play rhythm, too, so I lean towards Bob. But I play some Jerry as well. I, I sing some Jerry as well.
0: Why do you play rhythm? I mean, how do you guys decide who plays what? Because my,
4: my, my brother's nasty at guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just... uh, like, it, 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 it was easy. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, he, like, drums is his main instrument. He's just, like, musically gifted. So he can shred on guitar, too. And... By, like, 2018, 2019, we were both, like, I had gotten him into the dead, so we picked up the guitars and started, like, acoustic, but.
0: Do you try to play like Bobby? Oh, yeah. So, like, his yeah. unique style, you try to emulate
4: that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the main thing right now is, like, getting, you know, just a ton of inversions of, you know, Bobby plays, like, an A chord, you know, 12 ways along the neck, so, like, just, like. Playing a ton of different uh, inversions of each chord is a big uh, part of his his rhythm guitar game that I try to emulate.
0: How many times more difficult is that than just playing the rhythm guitar like you know Keith Richards would or something?
4: Uh, I can't really speak on Keith Richards, but when people say when people say like a normal rhythm guitarist, it's uh, I mean it's a lot. It's you know, it's, it could be a lot more simple. Probably makes it a lot more fun. Yeah. Right on, Mike. Thanks very much for coming on for sure. Thank you, bro.
0: So Garen, Jason, and Jake are fighting for two spots in the best of three series and the winner gets the shop post a prize pack. Let's hear the song. Okay, the guesses are in. It was Shakedown Street at the Hippodrome in Paris on October 17th, 1981. That was actually a leftover pick from Professor Eric Malin's episode, so thanks so much, Eric, for that. Jake and Garen got it exactly. Jason guessed 83. Not a a bad guess, Jason. Tough one to go out on. Let's go to Jake, who, who punched his... Guessing after like 15 seconds, what did you hear there that gave it away?
1: Uh, Brent, Brent's, Brent's piano in 81. He was playing a beautiful Fender Rhodes, like a early seventies Fender Rhodes, uh, or at least that was the essence of it. And uh, that's just in the pocket, early eighties funk, Grease, you know, the minute you hear that, you know, it's over.
0: But how are you able to narrow it down to 81 exactly?
1: The the groove is eighty one, but I mean yeah, eighty two was eighty two. The piano he was playing sounded like an acoustic piano, but it was synthetically built. Eighty one, he was still playing like that, like funky seventies uh, Fender Rhodes. So on a on a tune like Shakedown Street, easy. But like I said, it's the only shit I listened to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Um... Garen, were you picking up on the piano too? Is that how you got it?
2: The Rhodes was a big part of it for sure. Um, And then when Jerry came in, you know, in '80 he still had this very delicate kind of fragility, this sweetness to his voice. And he's he's he got a little more ragged as the '80s progressed, you know. Um, And so I heard that, and I said, okay, this that's really what tipped me from '80 to '81 was hearing the hearing his vocals. The other thing, uh, if I could just add in there, is that, you know, that envelope filter sound, that wah, that obviously is so signature to Jerry, it's really not uniform throughout his career. There's different versions of it. And that one is particularly organic. Like, that's, like, the, like, OG wah (laughs) stuff, you know? It's, It's hard, like, yeah, I mean, even though he continued to use that tone throughout the eighties and nineties, like there were, there were variations. You can sort of hear that that's like the the old, the real organic analog version, you know?
0: So what part of Jerry's rig was changing over time that had the side effect of causing the wah to evolve?
2: Well, I mean, towards the, around eighty-eighty-nine 89, when MIDI came in, and um just the availability of a lot of more synthesizer technology and emulations you could sort of get those tones without lugging first of all as much heavy stuff around but more reliable and it was sort of regarded as more reliable at the time because um the analog gear would would break frequently you can make the argument that it sounds better richer you know has more depth to it more complexity of you know, flavor. It's almost like wine or something, but, uh, but yeah, they gravitated more towards digital stuff in the late eighties. Um, and now when we listen back to it, at least to my ear, it's not, you know, it doesn't hold up, but that's when, that's when I saw the majority of my shows. So, you know, obviously I have an affinity for, you know,
0: but yeah. That's a brilliant answer. Thanks, Karen. Yeah. Jason, you guessed 1983, two years off of an 81, a very, very noble way to, to duck out. Why'd you guess 83?
3: Well, I knew it was going to be the, either the early 80s or the mid-80s are going to take me out. And so <laughs> here, here we are. Uh, I went with 83 at the very end when Jerry started singing. I, there was something in there that I, it sounded sort of like mush, mush mouthy and I was like, that's later than where my brain had been listening to just the musicians play their instruments. And so that's, that's how that happened at the end. I was like, I'm just going to go later. Something about the way Jerry's singing it. So there you go.
0: So, well, first of all, how'd you get into the dead and how did you and Garen together end up starting queer Deadheads?
3: Getting into the dead thing is a little bit of a two-parter when I, so when the dead played, uh, Lake Placid in nineteen eighty three uh we lived up very upstate New York, a little town called Malone, which is forty minutes from lake placid and this these kids in a bus had broken down in this park that was across the street from our house, and our dog got run over by a car weirdly that day, and we got home from i don't know where we the mall or something and these these hippies, which is how my mom referred to them, like came over there and like We didn't have any money, but we've been taking care of your dog. It got run over by a car or whatever. And so that was like the end of that story. We rushed up. Fast forward uh, to when I'm 18, a friend of mine and I, he's a deadhead. So we start talking about the dead and we start talking about Lake Placid, the sugary in 1983 or something comes up. And the next thing you know, I'm like putting this whole story together. I'm like, oh my God, those people were deadhead. This is crazy. (laughs) And it sort of like drew me in from that point on. And, and he had put a help slip Frank on from, a, a, well, the uh, 5 version on a mixtape he made for me. And I remember just being sucked into it. And that was, this was uh, 1994. And I mean, every day since 1994, I've listened to Dead in <laughs> one form or another, yeah. You know?
0: Awesome, so how did Queer Deadheads arise?
3: Uh, well, I mean, Garen definitely has least half of that one. But um, essentially, so I had a previous boyfriend and we were at a bar in San Francisco and he came running to me. He's like, oh my God, this kid here is wearing a steal your face uh, on his shirt. And uh, Garen and I sort of ended up hitting it off and going in separate directions. We're still very close friends with this other guy. But you know, over the years, we just kind of built a community of, gay people who are really into the dead, which is kind of a minority within a minority community. And then when the internet hit, the Grateful Dead were actually a huge part of the, the early social media stuff with Well and all of that kind of stuff. And there were like queer deadheads floating around very early, back in the late nineties, people were going around shows, handing out the little pink triangle stickers that said, Ain't No Time to Hate, which was, uh, had queer deadheads around the outside. But we started a Facebook group, I don't know, it's at least 15 years ago or so now, just because there was this community of people. And we knew a couple hundred people that were friends of ours just in our social life that would be like, would reach out to us or hear that, you know, we were part of this group in San Francisco. So we started this Facebook group and it's sort of taken off. I mean, there's maybe 1800 members or something like that. And there's, you know, meetups at everything from a Phil show at the cap to a big, uh, Stadium show at city field or something I mean there's a it's a really active community of people who uh, is something special about feeling like, oh, I'm not the only gay deadhead, basically, and that's kind of the, the heart of it
4: Karen
2: like Jason sort of alluded to, it got going initially, I think in the early eighties, um, but then hadn't really crossed over into the social media world, and that's sort of where we stepped in and sort of took over the reins of an idea that had already been going a little wild before. So we sort of pressed play on the social media part of it on Facebook and Instagram. And there's also a um, complimentary group in the fish world called Brian Robert, uh, which has been going for quite a while too. And, and, uh, you know, initially started, like Jason was saying, you know, online, but then very quickly evolved into oh, what section are you guys in? You know, it started out with five or ten people, and then all of a sudden, it's an entire section—a very fun section, I might add. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah.
0: So, can you we track had, down? Sorry, Jason. Go
2: ahead. I just say we. We one time at on the
3: floor at City Field at a Dead and Company show, I somehow got this like eighteen foot retractable flagpole. Into the building or into the stadium, and we had this "Steal Your Face with a Rainbow" basically inside the skull face made into a flag, and we were sort of holding it over our heads for our friends to just show. Like if you're on the floor, come to us. And we ended up taking it down because all evening people are coming from across the stadium. And they're like. I have to take a picture with you. My daughter's trans. She's at home. I want her to know. And they would, they would like to take pictures I was We're crying and everyone around us is crying. It was like it turned into this whole situation of people really wanting to connect to that part of their life and, and the Grateful Dead, which is obviously extremely important to everybody who's into it.
0: What is it about the Grateful Dead? Is it like the community, the melodies, the lyrics that to you felt like a beacon of love and acceptance?
2: I mean, I I could venture an answer that. I've thought a lot about this. It's like the, the collusion of things that happened in my life. I mean, I basically came out of the closet, discovered LSD, and went to my first head show. And within you know first several years of each other, or it, with maybe within a couple of years, and I think the combination of psychedelics and the lyrics and the sort of freedom that the music suggested it was almost impossible for me to stay in the closet with those influences it's sort of like i make the joke that the grateful dead kicked me out of the closet and it's not far from the truth you know it's just like there's so much truth in the music and so much integrity how can you really be into it and you know be not honest with yourself you know
0: it sounds like lsd was a huge factor in all this (laughs) i would say so (laughs) uh jason do you have a do you have similar sentiment
3: uh yeah of course i mean what what the, the person that i introduced me into the grateful Dead was the person i did lsd with for the first time and uh so there were all these confluences of experiences at the time that were really you can't you can't have a secret i mean anybody who's taken acid knows you can't have a secret from yourself, it's just like it's like mirrors on mirrors on mirrors and and if you try to hold on to it, you end up having like a bad trip in a in like a global sense, so you just have to kind of let go and be who you are and so yeah, and the Grateful Dead, obviously with um the storytelling aspect of it really just sort of points back at yourself all the time and there's a self reflective quality at me anyway, listening to the storytelling quality of the band and music and it just pointed to being who you are ultimately.
2: I will say that it was not, it wasn't easy, even though I'm saying that, you know, oh, the dead kicked me out of the closet. There were still, you know, many shows where I would look around and and not, and just feel like, you know, I was the only person there. I, at one point at, uh, is it Autzen, Oregon in 94, I, I was, I I thought to myself, oh, it'd be a great idea to gather signatures for the gay marriage bill that was, on the, that was up for a vote that year, thinking mistakenly that the dead scene would be welcoming to that. And it was a real eye-opener uh, to me, the responses I got in the parking lot. Now I think back on it, and you know that was quite a while ago and in the very early stages of maybe that movement. But still, I thought the dead scene would be more accepting, and it really wasn't. There was a lot of homophobia. Let's
0: put it that way. So, Deadheads were not ahead of the curve there.
2: Yeah, no. I, I mean, there. It's just like the scene has these diamonds, these people in it that are just—they're just full of love and acceptance, and they're sort of forward-thinking people. But then there's just as many people that, you know, back then that were uh, reflections of where they came from, essentially. And a lot of people did not, you know, grow up with those ideas you know but when you find the good people in this scene it's incredible because they they're especially good in my opinion you know
0: thank you so much jason for for joining us and garen thank you as well for hopping in there and helping us explain the whole origin story for yeah. uh, queer deadheads and that is they can people can find that just queer deadheads on at queer deadheads on instagram right and facebook and facebook I'm going to cool. go
3: study up on my 81 European tour.
0: So, uh... <laughs> Bye, guys. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, Jason. Thanks so much for being here. This is a really good showdown here. I'm really excited to uh, see this Best of Three series for the- Bring
1: it, baby. Bring it. <laughs> Bring it, man.
0: Uh, shop post uh, prize pack. Uh, let's play this song. the guesses are in. That was the jam of a bird song at Oxford Plains Speedway in Oxford, Maine on July 3rd, 1988. Nick Palmgarten made that selection and clipped that specific part of the jam. Can't take credit for that. Thank you, Nick. So Garen was closer who guessed 1989. Jake guessed 1993. Um, yeah,
1: dude i I'm, I'm i'm like so humbled right now man <laughs> <laughs> like that that was bizarre man i didn't even i did not hear brent at all in that man i did, uh, I can't believe that anyway man that's wow dude i'm humbled
0: it's a it was a tough one uh but garen you you sorted it how'd you figure out it was late 80s uh there was there is
1: that
2: that brent that sort of synth piano thing bobby's tone was just really like glistening sort of that midi bobby tone and sort of the groove of the band too they fell off the horse a couple of times and then got back on and you know also that that i know that bass sound from phil too that that so it's all just added up to that particular period for me
0: what was going on with phil
2: That fill tone, I guess I would describe it as particularly active, meaning um, there's analog and there's passive and active in electric instruments, and passive would be your more traditional kind of Fender bass sound. And then there's one that's like sort of souped up. It's got especially like when he drops bombs, it's like particularly sort of almost like saturates your headphones a little bit. So that's what I heard.
0: Sweet. Uh, Nice work. Jake, you thought 93. What were you thinking?
1: I, I, dude, I did not hear Brent in that. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I, I'm, I'm bummed that, that I, I didn't show up. So mad props to Garen, dude. I love to be put in my place because, you know, the dead, like I just remember Garcia talking about, you know, they play 40 shows and they might have 39 clunkers, but they wait for that one magic show and then that makes it all worth it. And that to me is what life is all about, too. Because life is about 39 clunkers, but then you get that one magic thing.
0: Jake, you're kind of a born talker, and it will surprise very few people maybe that you have a, a podcast, uh, The Jake Feinberg Show, and you've had some you know, totemic canonical figures from the Grateful Dead universe uh, on it, and it's a great listen. How did you get into the dead, and how did you start the show?
4: Yeah,
1: 98, I heard a cassette, Starlight Theater, 82. Uh, My buddy, Matesh hit me to live dead. So I didn't ever get exposed to the studio dead, per se. It was always the live experience. But um, like I said, I've been marinating in the early 80s. And it's been fascinating as a journalist, as a rogue journalist to get to, I got to Bobby about 12, 11 years ago, because he was coming to Tucson. And I wound up keeping him on the phone for about 45 minutes, which for most people to say that's pretty remarkable because he's not a big talker. Um, we were able to stretch out, um, but it's been interesting that side of the dead has been more accessible. I did two interviews with Barlow, one with Weir, interviewed tom Constantin, did 5 I've done five interviews with Healy, and like I've interviewed Mountain Girl, you know, I've interviewed all the merry pranksters, and like to me, like it's very important to always remember that Jerry Garcia really was the Grateful Dead. When they took that year off after 74, all those cats tried to go in, in solo directions. Bobby Bobby actually kind of pulled it off. But the point is that Bill Kreutzman couldn't afford a condo after 75. So in 76, they came back. It was the phantom ship. But yet Phil Lesh, man, Terrapin Crossroads, that's a tragedy that that shit got closed after COVID because he was giving young cats an opportunity to play, get their own individual sound, and they got paid for it. Like th- th- that was a gig. It was a gig. The tragedy of COVID is that that Phil had a cl- shutter terrapin. But you know, you could go into the bar, and a grant the burgers. I mean, th- they were fifty dollars. I-, I paid for them, but and they were good. But like it was a f- it was a place where you could bring young families. But you could walk into the bar on a random night, see Reed Mathis. Or see, you know, uh, you know, Phil's son. Yeah, there were great bar shows, and there were main shows. But the point is that the cats were getting paid to play live, and that's what's lacking today: is the opportunity, the venues to be able to play, and the opportunity for it to become gigs. I mean, most road dog musicians today. I mean, it's really hard to play original music and be a road dog today. Anyway. Those cats have healed me and my daughters. My daughters' ears are so wide open. They love digital beats, but they also can hear those drummers. It's like shoes in a dryer, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jake. Garen, before we go on to the next round to see if you can clinch the Guest of the Year title, could you tell us how you got into the dead?
2: Um, Well, I'm the youngest of nine kids, and there's a big age differential between uh, me and them. so. When I was in grade school, the stuff that I thought was cool, none of my peers had heard of, you know, so I was into the dead and CSN and Dylan and, 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 uh, you know, Joni Mitchell, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, so I had heard that stuff in the periphery a lot growing up and then started really getting into it in what I was about like 13, 14 and, um, The Dead were playing. That was when they did that first long multi-night run at MSG. So it was like September of 87. I think they did nine nights. And uh, I asked my dad if I could go, you know, and he said the only way he would let me go is if him and my brother, who was the resident deadhead in the family, went with me. And so given that choice, I said, sure. It wasn't what I wanted, but I just said, <laughs> yes, you can come with me. So my dad and my brother went with me to what's now regarded as a pretty awesome dead show. I mean, I think it's really become sort of the guiding, probably the primary guiding principle in my life. If if you could say the dead is a principle, and I sort of do. I mean, it's it really permeates... Every part of my life, um, professionally, I am a guitar player. I play in a, a dead band in the capital region of New York called Gratefully Yours. And I also, I don't. It's just been such a huge influence on on everything. How do you approach life? How do you? I mean, there's the obvious one for me, which is music, but the metaphorical part of it is wide-reaching. You know, like I mentioned before, just about being yourself and being open in your life, and um, you know, embracing improvisation in all of its many forms. Um, Jake touched on it a little bit, which is just, you know, there's a million tries and maybe only one bullseye. Um, But even if there's never a grand success, it's just about embracing not knowing what's coming next and, and thriving in that because fighting against that is really probably pretty futile because that, It's the nature of existence in life, is that you don't know what's happening. And it's an illusion to pretend you're in control. And the dead world, that's what that music was all about for me. It's like, you know, Jerry was pegged as being the leader, but um, he would never, he never accepted that role. In any interview you hear with him, he's always pushing that concept away, you know, and he wants to be thought of as part of an organism and um that's what we are in life i guess is part of a a larger uh organism and we just do what we
0: can and i imagine that improvisational ethos extends to your band uh gratefully yours
2: at its best it does yeah it's interesting i don't we're not um we're not super slavish about copying you know, you want to get the tones right and you want to get the approach right. And then what you do inside the music, our approach is really just to try to be yourself as much as possible. Deadheads are into authenticity. I know that there's, there's people who want to hear every note perfect and there's bands that approach it that way. To me, I've never quite understood that. I don't think Jerry would, would uh, really support that, actually. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not denigrating any of the incredible dead bands out there that do that. Cause it's an, it's awe inspiring. Really. You go to see a DSO and stuff to me, it's just jaw droppingly good. But I don't know that Jerry would, would be so enthusiastic about
1: that. Don't sleep on grateful shred. Dude. That's the best, that's the best band out there. dude.
0: They're fantastic. Yeah. they wipe
1: the floor with, wiped the floor with J-Rap. So let's move on.
0: Whoa. <laughs> yeah, they are great. Um, Garen, where can the, people yeah, hear uh, your band? Do you guys, do you guys release live sets?
2: So Gratefully Yours, we we play pretty much exclusively all over New York state, but we, so we're in the city, we're upstate, we play and and sometimes in Connecticut, New Jersey, but, um, so that's basically where to find us and we play a lot. So, um, I think gratefullyyours.net is the website, but it's, we're all over social media and stuff like that. And then I do, um. Before, long before I got involved with those guys, I have played with them for a couple of years. I've been doing my own original music and that's just under my name. So I, I write songs and sing and play guitar. And
0: how can people find that?
2: The website is just Garen.com. So it's garri
0: com.
6: Far out. And,
0: When'd you get that? And uh, uh, about two minutes before somebody else did. In like 1997 or something?
2: Yeah, it was like 99 or 2000 or something like that.
0: Jesus, that's huge. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool, Garen. Thanks for sharing all that. And you are up 1-0 in the series. And Jake needs this one to tie it up. You need this one to win guest the year. The guesses are in, that was a China doll jam at Winterland on December 29th, 1977. Garen was closer in 79, Jake guest 84. Garen, you're the new champ of Guest of the Year. Congrats. What were you hearing there? That was,
2: I found that to be like a really great selection, like very challenging. So I was hearing that, that harpsichord thing and it sounded like a synth harpsichord. So I was like, okay, maybe it's Brent then jerry's tone and the band sounded so so late 70s so i was like the only year that brent was playing with them in the 70s was 79 so that's why it chose 79 but yeah i should have maybe gone with the what i was hearing in jerry which was definitely 70s you know so uh
0: that was a nick Palmgarten pick again that's a good one jake shaking your head
1: what are you thinking <laughs> yeah who is this palm garden cat man because nice. I'm sick. I'm going to freaking wring yeah. his neck, dude. I'm going to freaking wring <laughs> his neck. First of all, Keith's way low in the mix. So it was so hard to hear. And so it could have been mistaken as Brent. And we didn't get to hear Jerry's voice, which on a China doll is essential. So, of course, I'm whining about this. But but it was, <coughs> no, it right. was very really hard. It was. I mean, did Pomegranate's cat? I'm going to I'm gonna find it. Because he's pulling out some good shit, man. And, and, and to be honest with you, it's been so, like, I am so grateful to be here because I started hot, but man, I was woefully off. And, like, that's the other thing about The Dead is that, you know, to me, I never saw The Grateful Dead, ever. And to me, it's a fantasy, and I want to keep it that way. Because, like, you talk about these, not you know, the shows in Vermont all the fucking chaos in the nineties. I wouldn't have wanted to see the dead in the nineties. You know, it was a kind of a mess, you know, but I'd rather keep it as a fantasy. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I just, it, it's, what it, what's great is you can walk away from a show and you can be introspective and you can think and you can know that your soul has been blown open. And I can feel that just from the live shows. You don't even have to go and see them live. And in fact, if I had gone to see them live, I'm not sure. Maybe I'd be more disenchanted based on some of the anarchy that went down. But either way, way off on the gig, way off. I mean, just like you know, and and it was because I could not. Keith was playing some silky funky shit, so way off, man. Sorry, bro. Humble the humble. You know what's interesting though is that like you you
2: reference the dead as a fantasy and. and- any era where I wasn't there is that way for me. It's, it's this gauzy, I imagine what it was like kind of thing. And, and then now in the YouTube era where like these early 80s shows are popping up all the time on YouTube. And I'm like, oh my God, like that's what Boreal Ridge looked like in 85. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I had this, these ideas of what the Greek was like in the 80s and all this and you know, it's sort of this demystification thing. But sure, uh, sure. I, t- I totally relate to that idea.
0: Love it. Thank you so much, everyone. Jake, nice run. Garen, congratulations. That was fantastic. Um, all right. We'll subscribe to Guest the Year on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for all the show links, including our new YouTube channel, which is going to have real video content on it. Now, Right now, we have all the, the episodes with a nice animation, but I'd subscribe because we've got a good YouTube thing coming up soon. For all those links, go to guesttheyear.net. And if you want to be a contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at guesttheyear.net. Thanks so much to Peter. He, he's a great guy, as you can hear on the show. He's also just a great artist. So, yeah, I would check out his, his site, shop-posta.com. It's also linked in the show notes. Thank you so much, Peter. Keep up the great work. I think I have all of Peter's shirts. I wear them constantly. So, yeah, thank you, Peter. Shout out to Dylan for drawing the posters and Mason for curating the set list. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to our new champ, Garen. And to our other contestants, thanks for playing and remember, it's all one song anyway. And
6: I bid you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bid you good night.
4: Good night.
6: Good Good night. night.